0: It's good to have you here today, and uh, I'll tell you, before we get going, let's let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for we thank you for your, your presence, your felt presence uh, in our number this morning. We thank you for this church family. God, I'm very very grateful for my church family. I, I their 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 courage inspires me. Their dedication uh, spurs me on, and I just I thank you for them. I pray that you will bless them. I bless our time together. God, the words that, that I say, I pray that there won't be any Josh in it, and it will be you. This is, our, this is my heart's desire. We love you. Uh, I pray that you'll turn our affections towards you, open our eyes and ears and our hearts. Amen. All right. You guys look good. If it's your first time, it's really good to have you. Um, uh, well, come and see me afterwards. We'll talk. I'll I'll let you know. I'll give you the latest church gossip. No, I won't, because we don't do that, right? We don't gossip in church, right? Oh, that's bad. The gossip's not good. Uh, it's, I think it's sin. Isn't it considered sin? It is, right? It's, it's like the sin of witchcraft, which is really bad. Anyway, um, it's good to have you. If you want to fill out your little thing, we'll send you something in the mail. It's 21 Choices gift coupons, so... That's pretty good, um, but good to have you. We're in a series right now on the the, the best is yet to come. It's a, I think it's a timely series. So God has got, he's got a great plan for your life, and it doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are, the best is yet to come. Uh, God God's done his part, like he's got this thing, he's got this thing framed out for you, he's got a vision for your life, he's got steps that you can follow to get there, but that's 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 the catch, is that you've got to get there. And so we've been, we've been talking about, you know, some practical steps on, on, on jumping into God's plan for our life. Very, very practical stuff. And one of the points that I think I've made every time that I've, that I've talked on this series is that um, without God in it, well, without the presence of God, without functioning in what we call the kingdom in our church, you can learn about that if you come to the one-on-one, but without functioning in, in, in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, um, it it can become a self-help. And if you're just here to improve yourself, I'm going to save you some time. You can go to Barnes and Noble and get a self-help book, and it's filled, it's filled with biblical principles that they've taken from the Bible. And if you, if you apply biblical principles, you will have a successful life. It does not mean that, that you're in relationship with God. Okay, I make a very clear distinction here. Just because you're a good person doesn't mean you know God. The secular humanists have told us that. You go to their website, that's their tagline. Good without God. So you can do it. You can really be a good person and just, just write God out of, the, out of your life. It can be done. And so this is kind of the, the thought that, that I want to make sure that we get across. What's your motivation for wanting to be blessed or to wanting to be successful? Is, is God part of that motivation? And this is where we have to do some honest, and as we're going to learn today, some courageous reflection about where, we, where we're really at. And I've been, I've been hitting on quite a bit... Um, um, the issue of fear you know we, got, we get stuck or you know the, the, the ways to, to grow usually fear is one of these things that gets us stuck gets us paralyzed gets us focused and consumed on little things instead of the big picture uh, uh, fear is a it can be a very negative force in our life but hopefully I framed it out it's, it can be necessary too like primal fear is a good thing you're you're in the woods and you come across a bear uh, you just can't say oh fear not i have i'm <laughs> i'm not going to fear this bear i'm just going to ignore that it's even there it's not there it's a figment of my imagination you know this is just a projection of my negativity and then the bear's going to eat you <laughs> right so there's there's value to the impulse of fear and for for us to just completely right off fear is irresponsible but it's also irresponsible for the believer to say um, or for a believer to live in fear especially fear of man the fear of man is this insecurity that we have to please other people like, I, 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 I'm afraid of what people are going to think if I don't look this way, if I don't act this way. I'm afraid of what my family's going to think if I'm not super successful and wealthy. I'm afraid of what, you know, I'm afraid of what my pastor's going to think if he... Never mind. But, um, so we have this fear of man that, 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 that can really hinder our spiritual growth. Um, and we just need to, we need to, to balance the two out. You know, we really need to take a hard look at it. And, you know, the opposite of fear, not, I shouldn't say the opposite, but the, the solution is courage. Courage. And so this is what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about the virtue of courage. And just because you're courageous doesn't mean that you're without fear. Most everybody that's ever acted in a courageous way, they, 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 had a, they had a fear of what they were coming up against, but they overcame it. Their fear did not master them. They took a step forward, even though that they were scared. So you, it is okay to be scared. It's not okay to be paralyzed by your fear. So that's what we're going to be looking into. Um, you actually live in... A fear-driven society. We're, we're scared of everything in our, in our world. Here's the, here's the great irony about America. This is the safest society that the world has ever seen. You are safer here in America than any other point in history in any other country in the world. This is the safest place to be. But we are, we are consumed with fear. What was the, who was the, the vigilante cop? What was his name? Doran, like we thought he was gonna bust into our house and shoot us, right, or zip tie us up. You know, it was it was all over the news. It was, it was all it was, we were focused on that. Uh, a while back, we were focused on SARS. We we're focused on on the bird flu. We're you know we're focused on you know world wars right now. We're focused on uh, terrorism. Uh, Justin Bieber. We have a lot of things. <laughs> we have a lot of things to be afraid of, and. Uh, I have a six-year-old. I'm afraid of Justin Bieber. Terrified of of that. Um, And we just we focus a lot of our time and our energy. We get distracted by these things, and so there's the balance, right? Where is that balance? But more importantly, what does it mean to be courageous, and how do we get it? Look. We wouldn't be sitting here today if it wasn't for a handful of courage, courageous followers of Christ in the first century. Actually, for, the, for about two, 300 years after Jesus, if it wasn't for courageous followers of Christ, none of us would be sitting here. Uh, we're, we're in the study of Acts on Wednesday nights. I'm really enjoying it. And um, um, let, me just, let me read this to you. Acts chapter 5. We'll start at verse 27. But the whole thing is really good. This is right after the very first church service. This is after what we call Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. And the the, the very first church service, first worship service was multilingual. That's amazing. The first expression of worship in the new covenant was with multiple languages that everybody could understand. And the audience... Was multi-generational and multi-ethnic. There were Europeans, there were Arabs, there were people from the East, people from all over the known world were there. And they could all understand and engage in worship. And the the interesting thing about worship is people came to faith just by the expression of worship. Worship was actually an evangelistic meeting some churches think that worship should only be for believers like you can't worship God or you can't even you can't let sinners in the door because worship is for God only and you can't have non-believers in a worship service and people think people believe that but what we see on day one is worship was for everyone and the ones that, that stumbled in through the doors that didn't know God, they're like, what is going on? What is this thing that I'm experiencing? That happens in our church quite a bit, actually. Like somebody just stumbles in. They, they're just like, oh, I guess I'll go to church this morning. I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling bad about myself. I'm going to go to church. And then they say, well, I've never felt this in my entire life. What's going on? All right? Like, what is going on is what they said. And what do we do next was the next question they asked. And this is what happens next. We have, we have the, the beginnings of this church. And they, they hit the streets. They begin to preach everywhere. And everybody is like, everybody's paying attention to the disciples and the apostles' teachings. They're fascinated. Uh, and then something else happens, which we all should aspire to. People were getting healed left and right. There were signs and wonders that preceded the church. And it was going on all over the place. And the powers that be were scared. They were terrified. They were, they were cynical. And the, the very same folks that, that crucified Jesus, they drug Peter and the rest of the disciples into the assembly. And they, they said, you guys need to shut up. You need to stop. And this, this is where we're at. So, verse 27. Having brought the disciples, uh, the apostles, they made them pe- appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. That would be Jesus. Peter and the other apostles replied. We must obey God rather than men. What's he saying? Well, we're not. We're going to obey God, not you, right? That's a big giant slap in the face. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you have killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince. Okay, if you write in your Bible, underline prince today. Prince and Savior. That he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Verse 33. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Then a Pharisee comes in and talks them out of it. So what's the point? The point is they were in an environment and they were doing what God has called them to do and they questioned the authority of the land. They said, we are, we are after truth. Um, on, on Tuesday, a lot of us from the church uh, took a little field trip down to the Claremont College's And we got the opportunity to see Dallas Willard talk. And it was amazing. I mean, it was very heady at some points. But his topic was, what is skepticism good for? And he framed out two forms of skepticism, basically a good skepticism and a bad skepticism. Uh, Targeted skepticism is good. Like you're going out, you're targeted, and you're going after a specific thing, and you, you want truth. And so you get this targeted spe- uh, skepticism, and then he framed out the not-so-good form of skepticism, which is an extreme skepticism, which is an irresponsible skepticism. You're not after truth. You're after anarchy. You want to stir up the pot. You want to cause problems. You just want to mix things up. You just, you just want to be a jerk, right? And he said, these are, the, these are the two forms of it. And then he says something that, that only Dallas Willard could say. In, in this community. I couldn't say it. Uh, no one else could say it and have it be respected, uh, you know, or without it being a big deal. But he said, Dallas Willard's a he's a philosophy professor at UCLA, by the way, but he's also written a lot of Christian books. He's a spiritual formation guy. Anyway, but he said to, uh, I don't know, four or 500 students, he said, you are in a part of an oppressive institution. And you need to be courageous and question it. That's a big, big bomb that he dropped on them. Why? Why why did why does he feel like they they should question the very institution they're a part of? And he's framed it out again, it's because The institutions have lost track of what truth is. They pretty much determined that they can't figure out what truth is because it's an abstract, it's empirical, you can't prove it, you can't see it, you can't smell it, you can't touch it. Truth is relative. It's not absolute. And therefore, truth is no longer the goal for institutions, the university institutions. The goal is now research and methodology and epistemology that's 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 the true value just how do we think about things that truth is relative very huge implications there and so what does this mean for us well it, it, we have to deal with the same thing in your own life we have to have the courage to be skeptical if you will of ourselves of our families, of our community, of those that we're close with, of our country, if you will, I don't know. But I'd really really rather get down to the core of things because I believe the issues with our society, they start with me and you as individuals first, and then it gets reflected in our society. I don't think society dictates who I am. I think we as a community dictate to what, science ought, or what society ought to be. So it starts with us. So I feel strongly that we have to be honest with ourselves. And that's what we're going to be looking at uh, today in your outline. When we begin to figure out what courage is, how do we get it, and how do we live it. In Ephesians 4, 1, this is in your notes. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Okay, this isn't just for one person. This is for you. We have all been called by God. You wouldn't be sitting in the room if you don't have a calling on your life. Maybe somebody drug you to church today, but I'm here to tell you it wasn't an accident. You are here because you have a calling on your life. And maybe today is the day that you get a, a snapshot of it. I don't know. But the first thing that we got to do, whenever we're, whenever we're presented with our calling, whenever we we know that God has tapped us, like you've seen, you've, you know, you know God's got a call in your life. You know that He wants you to do something specific, and we have to be courageous. It, it does take us to step out not only to step out in faith but to step out in courage and for and point one on your outline is that you have to believe that you can do it okay you have to believe that you can fulfill God's call in your life but here's the key even when you're scared so some of us get this call of God in our life and then we experience fear and then we go okay therefore it's not from God you see what I'm saying I experienced fear. Okay, God must not be in this. Boy, man, if that was true, think about that. If that's true, if the only reason why you're not fulfilling God's call in your life is because you're scared or you're intimidated or things just aren't going right, you've hit a few road bumps, and, and therefore you think, okay, God's not in this. He's not, things aren't working out the way I thought that they would be, so therefore God's not in this. If that's true, think about the Garden of Gethsemane. All right. Theological... Deal breaker in our church. Jesus, the divinity of Jesus. You know, we can have a couple of different biblical views and we're not going to kick you out, right? Or, you know, we'll put you into leadership if you have different views in eschatology. I don't care. But the divinity of Christ is a deal breaker. I won't let you teach the kids upstairs unless you believe in the divinity of Christ. God in the flesh. Deal breaker. You know what else is the deal breaker? The humanity of Jesus. He's fully human and fully God at the same time. How does that work out? I don't know. Ask Dallas Willard. Um, But um, he is fully human. It is a deal breaker. And in Philippians, it says that he became human. That in essence talk about this on Wednesday night if you're confused, but he, uh, he emptied himself of his divine power when he was on the planet. He completely relied on his relationship with the Father. All miracles that were performed through him, although he could have done it on his own, he tapped into the power of the Father. Why? So he could be like us. So that he could, he could experience the cross like you and I would scared to death. If he was fully God and he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he would have been like, you know, the superhero. and He'd be like, give me that cup. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pound that shot. Let's go. Let's do this thing. Oh, no, he was human. He was like, if this cup could pass before, if there's another way, this is scary. He sweated blood. It was so scary. Now, there's been lots of people all throughout history who have face death and have died for their convictions or cause or their faith. You know, we got the Chinese in Tiananmen Square. we got Martin Luther King Jr. You know, we've got lots of people that, that are willing to die for a cause, willing to die for justice. So there was that element of Jesus facing the reality at Gethsemane. But he also had knowledge that it was more than just dying on a cross and suffering, that he was actually going to be separated from his father and from the Holy Spirit, there was going to be complete, a uh, complete break of communion, complete loneliness. Now you're going to have when you're dying on your deathbed, you're going to have your family and friends holding your hand, but at some point you're going to be alone in, in your death. That's just the, the stark reality of it, and it's you know, it's scary. I probably, I don't know. But what Jesus faced, he faced that complete loneliness, especially when God the Father had to look away because there was so much sin on him. He also faced hell itself because he knew that he was going to descend to Hades. He knew that he was going to face a hell. For, for I guess, for us, you know, some of, one of the major criticisms towards the Bible and specifically the Old Testament: Oh, God's so bad because He killed all those people, and and uh, there was all the blood and warfare, and you know, it's just God's just not fair. He's mean. Well, okay, I get that. Um, they were horrible people: Canaanites, Amorites, Egyptians—horrible people. They they death. Canaanites worshipped Moloch. They would literally, Moloch was basically Mars. He's the god of war. And in order for them to get power and victory before they moved into battle, they would would throw their children into Moloch's fiery furnace. They would sacrifice their own children so they'd get victory in war. They'd eat their own young sometimes. Horrible people. They deserve punishment. Okay, that's pretty brutal, all right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, brought his son into this world, in addition, brought his son into hell so that he could give those horrible people the gospel message. Everybody's got the gospel message. Jesus descended into Hades and he ministered to everyone, all of humanity. You say God's not fair? Are you kidding me? You know who else was sitting in the audience? Judas, who three days earlier betrayed him? That's awkward, huh? That's an awkward situation there. Completely fair. Completely just. Expresses amounts of grace that you and I have no concept of understanding. This is is the humanity of Jesus. He was and is a hero. The scripture that we just read when I had you underline prince, okay? It's, it's used rarely in this context four or five times, but the definition in the Greek is that it comes across as captain or hero. He is our hero. He he faced he faced things that no human has ever faced. And he, he was willing to do it. He, was, he wasn't scared. Um, Numbers 13. One of the great stories, one of the great themes of the Bible is the Exodus, is um, God setting free the people of Israel. They're, they're slaves. They're slaves in Egypt. And God sets them free. And then they go into the wilderness and they have the promise of the promised land. Right? We know the story. You guys saw the cartoon, right? <laughs> and um, as they're beginning to enter into the promised land, they send in 12 spies to get information. We did, we did a message on that. It's good to gather information to get knowledge before you make a decision, before you take that leap of faith, right? You want to you accumulate as much information and knowledge as you can, it's biblical. <laughs> They did that. What did they come back with? Oh my gosh. There's big giant castles, there's fortified cities, and there's giants, descendants of the Nephilim. Whenever we do alpha, that's always the question. Who were the Nephilim? They're big giants man, I don't know, we don't know who they were. Their sons they, they were the descendants of Cain, basically. They're the descendants of man. Uh, they're not angel hybrids, and they're definitely not alien hybrids. They're just big, mean guys, the Nephilim, descendants of Anak. So they go in, they said, there's, there's fortified cities, there's Canaanites, and, and then there's the, the, the descendants of giants, the descendants of Anak that are there. That's, we get, um, uh, that's where George Lucas got Anakin Skywalker, right? Big, giant, tall Darth Vader. You know, he, he ripped that off from the Bible. Sorry for geeking out on you, but that's just kind of fun. Um, and what happens? We have to move forward and face our fear. We have, to, you know, we have to respond to God's call, even though we're scared. And they did that. But something else happened that is very discouraging. The other ten spies said, we can't do this. There's giants in there. There's giants in the land, and they're mean, and they have castles. We can't do it. Next point on your outline is that you've got to filter through negativity, negative feedback. You've got to know what's from God and what's not. You're going to get negative feedback. Who are you going to get it from? who are these guys? They're, they're tribes of Israel. They're the, your brothers and sisters. Sometimes the people that you're the closest with are going to give you bad feedback, bad information. Discernment. You have to figure out, how do I, how do I filter this? How, what do I know is from God and what do I not? Because look at, I've told you a million times, God speaks to us through each other. This is what the body of Christ is about. But at the same time, you have to be careful you have to be able to discern what's from God and what's not. You have to filter this, this negative advice. Uh, in Numbers 14, 2-4, four, All the Israelites grumbled and said, If we'd only died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord uh, taking us into a new country to die in battle? Here we go. Let's go back to Egypt where we all lived our lives, where we all lived a life under a spirit of slavery. This is a major temptation for most of us, especially followers. Like when God calls us into our calling, the the temptation is to go back to Egypt. That's a famous saying from our pastor, by the way, don't go back to Egypt. But there's this fear that we have and... um, Slavery is more comfortable than risk at times. The history of slavery in the world, there's very few people that have the guts to have the courage to stand up to their masters and break their chains. Most of them feel very comfortable in their environment. They get fed, okay, they get whipped every once in a while, but they have security, right? They just, they're, they're, they're comfortable in their slavery. Oh, Josh, that's a little extreme, maybe. Well, really, all right. Um, one of the toughest bondages that the church has to break is um, prostitution, strippers, and pornography. Those folks are in bondage. They're in slavery, but they can't get out because they're comfortable and they get paid well, but they don't realize that they're slaves. I think they do realize that they're slaves, but they're, they like the paycheck. They like to stay in Egypt. They like the, they like the abuse. It's the same thing. This is the same attitude. This is the same spirit that is on the Israelites. And, and, and they're like, we're not going. It, it's too risky. It's too scary. We don't want to fight. Let's just go back. And then they, they divide. They're like, okay, we're going to, it's time to vote for a new leader here. Let's get rid of Moses. Let's get rid of Aaron. It's time to get a new leader, and let's go back to Egypt. All right, do you see what's going on? And in spite of what I said about skepticism, you can, you can mask your skepticism as righteousness when it's wrong. If it doesn't lead to truth, if it doesn't lead to God's promise for your life, you can say, oh, we need to go back, we need to question you and go back to Egypt. And it comes off as being a good skepticism, but it's not headed towards truth. It's headed towards slavery. It's headed towards anarchy. But they've questioned the wrong thing. And you know what the position of the elders were when they. what, what What does Caleb say? Caleb says, I have it written down, don't I? All right, this is up in your notes on point one. Caleb says, um, we should go up and take possession for we can certainly do it. He makes a statement. We should, we should do this. This is a good thing. We should do this and we can pull it off. And when he starts saying that, when when he says we should and we can, they're like, there's murder in their eyes. You know what the response was from the, from the elders? They were going to kill them. They were going to kill Caleb and Joshua for having this attitude, for having this courage. And they, they, they started to devise ways to stone them. Do you know what saved them? Let me see if I can find it real quick. All right, now I'm going to paraphrase it. Uh, it's, in, it's in Numbers 14. Um, what saved them was the presence of God. They're about ready to get stoned. They're about ready to experience the wrath of some slave mentality people. And the presence of God shows up in the tent of meeting. And then it just ends there. It doesn't tell us specifically what happened. All it says is the presence showed up. And then they were spared. Here's the tragedy of the whole story. Caleb goes in. We can certainly do it. His brothers said, No, no. 40 years, 40 long, hard, hot, dry years suffering in the desert. All, those, all the elders, all the grumblers, all the complainers, all the people with slave mentality that, that wanted to hang on to that for some reason, all of those folks died, literally died off. And the only ones of the 12 that actually went in to spy out the place that was left was Caleb and Joshua. The only ones left of that generation, Caleb and Joshua. Forty years later. And do you know what Caleb's response was? It was the same. We should do it, and we can take it. The man was 85 years old. And do you know what he said? I want the mountain regions, and I want those giants. I want the sons of Anak. I want to kill those guys. The 85-year-old chose off the biggest, meanest, baddest dudes in the hardest terrain. Why? Because he knew that's what God called him to do. Unfortunately, his brothers postponed his calling. And some of us live in that reality, unfortunately, where God has got a plan for your life and somebody has stolen it from you. And sometimes in order for us to actually fight our giants, we have to fight our brothers and sisters first the ones that are giving us bad information, the ones that are, that are being negative, the ones that are griping and complaining and grumbling. Sometimes we have to fight those guys first. David had the same situation. Before David could fight Goliath, he had to fight his brothers because they had the same spirit on them. They were complaining about him. They just, You're just a little boy. Just shut up. Just go away. So he had to contend with his, with his brothers and sisters before he could fight his giants. It's the same experience that Caleb had. But he goes in, and he takes the land, and he begins to form a spiritual inheritance. You know the interesting thing about Caleb? He was half Jew. How does that work? His mom was a Jew. His father was a Canaanite, probably. I think it's Canaanite, whatever it is. But basically, he's a Canaanite. And he gets grafted and adopted into the tribe of of Judah. That's where Jesus came from. And he passed on a spiritual heritage. He's 85 years old before he began to function. Next point, it's never too late. I don't care how old you are, it's never too late to fulfill your purpose in life. God's always got another plan A. There's no plan B. There's always another plan A. It's never too late. A generation is forty years. The beautiful thing about our church, raise your hand if you're under forty. All right? Not bad. Everybody else, you don't I'm not gonna make you raise your hand if you're above forty. Just... We're in a Caleb generation, and to think that, that our time is over is, is is one of the biggest lies from the devil that there is. Um, you might not be working but you're not retired retirement is not in the Bible Moses picks up his mantle when he was 80 years old Uh, Abraham uh, starts to fulfill his promise at 76 76 or 78 I forget Caleb was strong at 85 and killed giants it's amazing it's never over All right. This is for the young folks through the under 40s. So you got the Caleb generation, right? That they, they just didn't give up. Everybody let them down, but they didn't give up. They kept fighting. They kept God's promise in mind. They kept the, the land of milk and honey as their vision. You know, I've got um, five generations of, that I know of in my life, in my, my family tree, of people that have served the Lord. And that's an incredible spiritual heritage that I, that I value. I treasure that. And um, some of you have the same history, same lineage. Some of you don't but today's a good day to change your family tree. When you're dying and when you're on your deathbed, what are your grandkids gonna say about you? Are they gonna say, that was a godly woman? My grandma was a godly woman, my grandpa was a godly man. Or are they gonna say, my grandpa was a decent businessman, my mom was a good teacher. What are they gonna say when you're on your deathbed? So today is a good day to start a spiritual heritage for yourself. It is preferable. It is eternal. Do you know that? It's eternal. It goes on with you into eternity. Your career doesn't and your boat definitely doesn't. That stuff is just you can't take that with you. You know that. All right. So that's for the that's for the The 40 plus. Now the the 40 minus. Um, I want to talk about Timothy a little bit. See, again, the beautiful thing about our church is it's multi-generational. Dysfunctional churches are full of old people. Sorry. But dysfunctional churches are also full of only young people. You have to have both. God has called us to diversity. It's clear in Acts 2. It's clear in the teachings of Paul. It's biblical. It is unbiblical to not be diverse. This is why I love my church. It's because it is full of both. It is full of of people that are long in age, but they value, they value the presence of God, and they value discipling young people or being a, a, a presence for young people. It's huge. And young people that can just say, "Look, I want to, I want to be like that person someday." That's that's an amazing thing. There, that is where that's where knowledge and wisdom comes into place. If you can draft off of somebody, that if you can draft draft off a Caleb, if you can find a good Caleb to follow, man, you can you do anything. This is what Paul does with Timothy. He uh, he puts a young man in charge of a church in Ephesus. And he begins to write Timothy letters of encouragement. You know when it was going on in Timothy's heart and mind? The kid was scared to death. It actually comes across as if Timothy is having panic attacks in his ministry. You know, he's got nasty church people that are giving him a hard time. And he doesn't know what to do. He's inexperienced. And Paul is he's mentoring this young man. He's bringing him along. He's encouraging him. This is what he says. Uh, Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 1. One through six. Fan into the flame the gift of God. This is a a Caleb ministering to a younger person. Which is in you through the laying on of my hands. See, Paul's passed on an anointing to a young person. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, of self-discipline. What's he saying to him? How is he encouraging him? He's saying, Tim, let's be honest with yourself here. You need to take a good, hard look at yourself. You're passionate. And he actually says this, there's nobody better than Timothy. There's something special about Timothy. There's no one like him. He says, Timothy, Stick to truth. Be concerned about what truth is. Work on on self-discipline. Work on yourself a little bit. You need to to do some self-reflecting without getting introspective. You need to pull your own weeds a little bit. This this fear thing. You don't have a spirit of timidity. Be courageous. Let's Let's move on here. Let's get on with it. Don't be scared of your environment or your circumstance. You can do it. And we need to do this as young people. We need to say, all right, I need to be honest with myself. What is my true motivation for doing this? One of the the questions that the college student asked Dallas Willard, she said, "Um, can, can I get to truth with extreme skepticism with anarchy? Can I just blow apart everything and find truth? And he said something that kind of contradicts itself, but it is true. He says, yes, you can. You can. But what's your motivation? What are you after? You can do that if you are honest with yourself. That's the truth of us. If we are honest with ourselves, if we're truly honest about where what our motivations are, like what are we after? Are we really after truth, or we just, or we just want God to to bless us? Is that what we're after? Is that courageous? All right, think about the think about the early church. It exploded in two and a half, three hundred 300 years, took over the world. So a group of disciples, a handful of people, uh, uneducated, disenfranchised, poor people in a poor country within two hundred, three hundred 300 years took over the world. How does that happen? Where do they get that type of courage? It didn't come from them. It came from outside of them. They were so courageous that they faced death. When Peter and the the apostles were before the Sanhedrin, you know what happened to them? They got whipped. They got the 40 lashes. What was their response? They rejoiced. There was joy in that. Since the time of Christ, since Constantine you know, made it a state religion, there were 10 systematic persecutions of the Christian faith. Like, they, they were out to take them off the map. It was, re, it was religious genocide. They wanted to kill them all. That was, the, that was their motivation. They are going to kill them all. So that's why we have them thrown into the Colosseum, eaten by lions, tortured, torn apart by animals, disemboweled, um, beheaded, hung upside down on a cross, and the histories tell us, this is historical fact, by the way, this isn't stuff that, that you know, people made up. We've got all kinds of historical records on the martyrs. They would pray and minister to the ones that were going to execute them. How do you do that? Where does that type of courage come from? The Appian Way, the roads that leading into Rome and out of Rome, miles and miles and miles of crucifixes, of Christians dying the same death Jesus died on a cross. It's like light posts, but crosses all lined up along the the road. And you know what people going into the city, you know what they reported? Worship. Worshiping on the cross. Singing songs of praise as they're dying on a cross ministering to the, to the merchants and the, and the travelers that are going into the city. Wow, now that's courage. Would we do that? We, we can't even get to church on time. Worship's kind of a byproduct for us. That it's an inconvenience to get to church sometimes. <laughs> Tertullian said that the blood of the early church was the seed for hope for the world. We're sitting here because, (laughs) because there was an early brother and sister in Christ that was singing worship songs hanging from a cross. Wow. That's courage. There's no prosperity gospel in that. There was no, what do I get out of this relationship with God? None of that. Heroes. Heroes of the faith. Another thing young people need to do is they need to have the courage to avoid time wasters in their life. Distractions. This is, we've got so much going on in our world. There's so many different distractions. Got to tune them out. Paul again, ministering to his young disciple Timothy. Says Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless foolishness, discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. Sometimes we just need to avoid blogs, Facebook. I think there's a Facebook post that says, Facebook, leave me alone. I need to read my Bible. Something like that. We're so distracted. We've got the, the cell phone and everything. And, um, but you know what really gets us? is friends. Some of us need to change our friends. Okay, it, look, if you're not influencing your friends into the kingdom of God, guess what? They're influencing you. Somewhere else, this is what he says right here, some have lost the faith because they got distracted with foolish talk. It's really, really super easy to get sucked into foolish talk. Turn on YouTube for a little bit. You get sucked into that. You go from one funny thing to the next funny thing to the next funny thing. It gets crasser and crasser and crasser, and before you know it, you've got a depraved mind. Quit getting distracted by this stuff. You have to have courage. Some of you need to have the courage just to get new friends. All right. Next and last point. You have to have the courage to give God your best. Now, this is going to go for the, the Timothy generation and the Caleb generation. You've got to give God your best. Are you giving God your best? You know you've got, Caleb's, you know you've got gifts. You know you've got abilities, are you giving your best abilities to God? Our people do. A lot of people in our church do. We just prayed off uh, Patricia Lynn. She's going to um, Myanmar on a missions trip with uh, Aglow Ministry, and she's she's a regional director of Aglow, which is pretty you know it's pretty important. Um, she was in my home group over the summer, and our home group got places because of the courage of that woman. Because in this home group, she had the courage to say, I'm dealing with this issue, and I need prayer. She got very transparent. And then for a moment, it was very uncomfortable. But she took the risk to say, I need victory over this area in my life. And we went after it as a home group, as a fellowship of believers. And she's got victory over that three months later. Amazing miracle. But in addition to that, we prayed for her place. in a a glow, she got elevated to a higher place of authority in that ministry. But you know what she did? She said, she said to me a while back, she said, I really need to give back to my church. And I'm gonna gonna give uh, my time and my energy and my money and I'm gonna go to Saddleback for the counseling training because I want to serve the people in my church courage she's giving the best of herself what is your best are you pouring your best into your job or your, your career or whatever what's your best are you giving it to God that's, a, that's where we have to be honest with ourselves I hate those kind of questions here's the deal God gave to his, God gave his best. He gave his best. He gave his best for us. Faced fear, anxiety, terror that no human on the planet has ever experienced. And he gave his best for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. So that we can be made and put into right relationship with a heavenly Father that loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that we don't have to perish. That is truth. That is reality. That is something that our society has lost track of. If I could have the band and the ushers to come on up to the front. As they're on their way up, I've got one more scripture to close with. And this is, a, this is a courage scripture, so if you're, if you're having issues engaging something in your life, uh, Deuteronomy 20, you write this down, highlight it, underline it. Uh, when you go to war against your enemies, and you see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, don't be afraid of them, because the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt... He will review your history with God. Where did you have breakthrough? Where did you come out of Egypt? The God that got you out of Egypt will be there with you. When you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. When you, when you face your trials and anything, school, work, whatever, Bring God into the picture. Bring your priest, bring Jesus, the priest, into that situation. Have him counsel you before you enter into battle. Verse 5, The officer shall say to the army, Has anyone built a new house and not dedicate it? Let him go home. Get your house in order before you go into spiritual battle. Before you begin to flex your courage muscle. Get your house in order. Has anybody planted a vineyard? Not begun to enjoy it. Get your finances in order before you begin to stretch your courage muscle. That, get that thing taken care of. It'll get you every time. You pledge to a woman to be married. Don't go into battle until you get your relationships straightened out. Get your interpersonal relationships taken care of before you step into battle, before you start lopping off heads. Then the officer shall say, If a man, if any man afraid or is faint-hearted, let him go home so that his brothers will not become disheartened too. If you're scared, go home. Go big or go home. Don't infect everybody around you with your fear, with your cynicism with your negative skepticism. It will affect everyone else. Your fear will make the whole camp sick. Go big or go home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for, for courageous brothers and sisters that, that are a part of our family. We don't know who they are. They're long dead. They're long with you. God, but they, they, they paved a road with their own blood, so that we could, we could worship like this. We could worship like this. In freedom. In the safest country in the world. The world has ever known. Thank you for their sacrifice. Thank you for their vision. Thank you that they contended for the faith. I pray that we will, we will do the same. That we will be a part of their spiritual heritage. God, as we give, I pray that we will just give with a, with a joyous heart, God. We're happy. We're happy to serve you. We're happy to be in your presence. Thank you so much for ministering to us when we're scared and we're facing difficulties. Thank you for that presence that keeps us from harm and death. Amen.